welcome to Stories from Nowhere. I'm your host, Randall Vaughn. Today's story is entitled, Freddy the Stagehand. As the current school year draws to a close, I thought I would share a few stories about some of my early experiences teaching and how those really have shaped who I am as a teacher and how I teach, and more importantly, really who I became as a person and how I view people in general. My senior year of college at Washburn University, I was studying music education, and during my last semester, I was lucky enough to land a job at a small rural school in Northeast Kansas. Like most first-year teachers, I spent the majority of my summer up at that school fixing my classroom, decorating it, selecting music for my choir, and determining that my groups were going to be the best groups that school had ever had, we were going to win contests, we were going to have amazing musicals, and we were going to be the type of group that people across the state would talk about. When I started the first day, I had a total of 33 students in three choirs, not quite what I was expecting. As I ran the students through their warm-ups and began trying to teach them the songs that I had selected, I realized very quickly that the songs I had selected were much too difficult for the level that the group was currently at. So that afternoon and evening, I spent time and put away all the music I had selected and quickly figured out what songs we might be able to do as groups. One of the choirs, the faculty and staff, lovingly called the Criminal Choir. The name of the group was actually Concert Choir, but the name fit, as I would soon find out. There were three sets of siblings in this class, and two of the sets of these siblings had called the police on each other and actually had restraining orders on each other. But I guess if you're in an elective class in a public school, those restraining orders go out the window. I couldn't have a moment of downtime without an argument or a fight starting. I remember one time in particular, there were two boys. I had to sit them in opposite corners of the room, two brothers, and I was expecting an important email about my daughters. And I told the class, listen, when my computer dings, this is before laptops, when my computer dings, that means I've gotten an email, and I need to answer that email. I'm going to have to turn my back to check my email for a few minutes. Please just remain in your seats and remain calm and don't move. Sure enough, a few minutes later, the ding came on my computer, and as I turned around to check my email, walking to the laptop, I heard chairs moving and flying across the room. And I turned around, and these two brothers had run across the room and were at each other's throats in the few seconds it took me to simply turn around and get to my computer. I separated the boys, and the story that's being told at that school now is that I picked up one of these boys and threw him against the wall. Now, I think that's a great story to let run, So I let everybody in the school believe that because I didn't have too many discipline problems after that. One of the boys was quite large and uh, was an avid weightlifter, and he puffed up his chest and got right in my face, and I just started laughing. And I said, what are you going to do? Are you going to hit me? And he said, well, if I have to. I said, well, go ahead. That'd be all right. Go ahead and hit me. 
And of course, he finally backed down. And what's interesting is, is that student, that former student and I, are now friends. And he checks in with me about once a month, tells me about his wife and his kids. We reminisce about that class. And he talks about how I had invested in him and that I saw something in him that even he didn't see while he was in high school. But that class during Christmas time in December, we were going around the room probably after our last concert, and I was asking the students, are you going to travel for Christmas? Are you hoping to get presents for Christmas? Does your family have a big Christmas? You know, what do you do for Christmas? Just trying to get to know my students a little bit better, and as we went around the room, I was asking the students a few questions like that, and I got to a set of girls, sisters, and I said, well, what, what do you guys want? What do you want for Christmas? And they looked at each other, and then they looked at me, and in a moment of sincere honesty and transparency, these girls looked at me and said, we just want some groceries. You know, we don't have any food in our house. We both work part-time, but our mother's been on disability, and we just don't have a lot of food in our house. And it kind of broke me. I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but we always had food in our house, always. We always had warm beds. We always had a roof over our house. We always had vehicles to get us places. And now I had two girls telling me that all they wanted for Christmas was groceries. So even though we weren't supposed to do things like this, the last day of school I called the girls into my room and tried to do it so that no one else could could see as the students were dismissing for Christmas break. And I purchased two big bags of groceries. I brought them into my room and I said, hey, you know, I heard what you said in class and, you know, I can't do a lot to help you, but I did want to do something so that your Christmas break might be, you know, a little bit better. And I handed these two girls each a large brown sack of groceries and I will never forget the looks on their faces. I will never forget how much they thanked me as they left the school with those two bags of groceries. And for the first time in my life, I really thought about students' lives and what they deal with outside of school. I had another student, we'll call him Danny, and Danny was a troublemaker in every class. Every class he was in, he was always in trouble. He was always causing trouble, uh, very belligerent, very disrespectful. And then he got in one of my classes called Music for the Stage, and that class we built and designed the sets for the musical. And he was pretty darn good, worked pretty hard, was sometimes disrespectful, but we had a good rapport, and I got along with him really well, and I had no discipline problems with this boy at all, ever. And one day we were in class, and I, something was just off. I could just tell something was bothering him or something had happened or maybe he wasn't feeling well. And so, as is my style, I asked him numerous times, are you doing all right? Do you feel okay? Do you need a snack? Do you need something to eat? Did you not get enough sleep? Do you need to take a nap? And every time there was this cold, I'm okay, I'm fine. As class ended and the other students were leaving the auditorium, the stage area, he was milling around taking his time putting away tools and cleaning up. 
And so I walked up to him. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, I said, what's going on? There's something going on. And this big, tough, strong kid who never showed emotion just broke down and started crying. So I hugged him, and I said, what's going on? What's going on with you today? He said, well, my dad kicked me out of my house this morning. I said, okay. I said, so what happened? What's, what's going on with that? And as we sat down in the auditorium, he explained to me that when he was in sixth grade, his mother left home, left he and his father, and his mother told him as he was leaving, I never wanted you, I never loved you, I should have had an abortion. And in my mind, I can't process that. I can't process how any parent could tell their, tell their child something like that. And then he said, through his tears, he said, this morning, my dad kicked me out of the house, and my dad told me, your mom's right. She should have had an abortion. I never wanted you. I've just been putting up with you this long because I thought it was my responsibility. And I sat there for a long time because I didn't know what to say. What do you say to somebody that the two people that are supposed to love and take care of them have both told them that he wasn't wanted? So as I sat there fumbling and stumbling, I ended up telling him, I said, you know what? One day you're going to be a great father. One day you really will. You're going to be a great father. And he kind of looked at me confused with tears in his eyes. I said, because you've seen what a bad father looks like. And you know what it feels like to have a bad father. And one day you're going to be a great father, and you're going to get to show your son or your daughter how much you love them. But one of my favorite stories that I like to tell about my early years teaching is about a student we're going to call Freddie. Freddie would stand in the back hallway behind my classroom and a gymnasium, a small, poorly lit hallway that students really weren't supposed to be in, but this is where Freddie would hang out. I used to split my time between a high school and a middle school and would usually around lunchtime have to leave my classroom and then walk over to the middle school about a block away. Early on, I realized I couldn't leave through my main door because it entered out into the commons area where most of the students were eating because I would get caught by too many students or another teacher would see me and need to speak with me. So I would exit my back door to my room, which would go down this dimly lit hallway. And I would see Freddie standing in the corner of this hallway, arms crossed, standing up with his feet crossed and his head down. And this student wasn't enrolled in any of my classes, but I was determined to figure out who this kid was and why he was standing in this back hallway. Now, a good teacher would have told Freddie that he shouldn't be in this back hallway and he should be out in the commons area eating his lunch, but I could tell there was just something bothering this boy. So I started asking him every day, Hey, Freddie, why don't you give us a smile? Hey, Freddie, it's Wednesday. We're halfway there. We're on Friday. Freddie, it's Friday. You got big plans for the weekend? And Freddie would not lift his head, wouldn't look at me, wouldn't react, wouldn't do anything. Second semester, Freddie joined choir. Freddie sat up in the top right corner of the room, 
sat in his chair with his arms crossed, legs crossed, and his head down. And I was determined to make Freddie smile. So every day I would have a comment for him or a question or I would tell him a dad joke. And finally, about three weeks into the semester, I saw him smile. Now, I didn't draw attention to it because I didn't want to ruin my moment and my success. But I knew then that he at least had a sense of humor. Now, Freddie couldn't sing. Bless his heart. Couldn't, couldn't match pitches, couldn't carry a tune. But he was opening his mouth, and he was doing what was asked of him. And I remember telling him, I said, you know what, Freddie? I said, if you can be in my class and not be a disruption, which he never was, and participate, I said, you're at least going to get a C. When that semester was drawing toward a close, toward summer, I had gotten permission from the school to start a new class the next year called Music for the Stage. And again, that class was designed to help me build and design the sets for the musical. I was a one-man show up there. I directed the musical. I did the music for the musical. I designed the sets. I built the sets. I painted the sets. I did the sound. I did the lights. I did everything. And I would often be up at the school building sets until 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock midnight. And so we started this class called Music for the Stage, and I was introducing this class to the students in my choir classes and said, hey, I've got this new opportunity, this new class, Music for the Stage. If you enjoy building and designing and painting, this is the class for you. And I saw Freddie's eyes light up. After class, he came down. He said, I'm really interested in that Music for the Stage class. Could I enroll in that class next semester? I'm like, sure. I said, go on down, talk to the counselors. I'll send him an email and let him know that you want to be in that class. And so Freddie joined that class. Freddie struggled reading a tape measure, and he struggled cutting anything, and he struggled using a drill. I remember one time I had to leave uh, to go down to the office. I don't remember the reason, and I left instructions for the group. I needed 12 boards cut to 36 inches, 12 2x4s cut to 36 inches. Pretty straightforward instructions. And I came back, and Freddie was finishing up the last few of the boards, and I began measuring the boards. And some of the boards were 33 inches, and some of the boards were 39 inches, and there was every variance in between those. And I looked at Freddie, and I said, I needed 12 boards cut exactly to 36 inches. And he said, yeah, I really don't know how to read a tape measure. I said, well, yeah, that would have been information that would have been nice to have had before you started cutting. So I spent some time showing him how to pull out the tape measure, mark it with a pencil, where to put the saw on the board, how to allow for the curve for the width of the blade. And we kind of struggled through that semester of music for the stage. After every musical, I would bring the uh, stage crew out and the music for the stage kids on stage to be recognized by the audience. And uh, Freddie refused, would not come onto the stage, was too shy, didn't want anything to do with being recognized. The next year, Freddie got a lot better in that class, in his junior year. Started to take a little more leadership, didn't need as much guidance. By Freddie's senior year, he was running the stage crew, directing the other members on where to be, 
how to build things. This is how Mr. Bond would like this done. This is why we use screws instead of nails. And it really come into his own. His senior year, as we were introducing the cast and the crew, and I'm thanking the seniors for their work and recognizing our students that did both lights and sound, I brought out the stage crew and the music for the stage students to be on the stage. And for the first time, Freddie came out. When the students in the audience saw him, they gave him a standing ovation. To this day, after 20 years of teaching, it's still one of the most meaningful moments of my teaching career. Music for the Stage is a one-semester class. We don't do it second semester. But Freddie joined the choir, and he was in choir for all second semester. And I love Freddie. We get to graduation, and my select group would always sing. And then I would go to my office and wait in my office for the graduation to be over, and then I would come out to the commons area to say one last goodbye to the seniors. As I went back to my office, I saw a letter on my desk. And this letter was from Freddie. And the letter went something like this. Dear Mr. Bond, I can't thank you enough for what you've done for me. I don't know if you remember this, but my first semester as a freshman, you used to pass me in the back hallway and ask me to smile. Sometimes you'd tell me a joke, but I was determined not to smile or laugh. I thought for sure you'd leave me alone if I ignored you. But you kept it up almost every day. I joined your class to see what you were like, and even though I couldn't sing, you never made me feel out of place. I felt like I was part of the group. Then I got to join music for the stage, and I couldn't do anything. And instead of yelling at me or making me feel bad for cutting a bunch of boards wrong, you took the time to show me. Because of you and your class, I now know what I want to do for a living. I've taken a job building houses, and I'm excited to start next week. What you don't know is that the reason I was standing in that back hallway was because I felt very alone. I didn't have any friends, I was often bullied, and I had seriously considered committing suicide. After I joined choir and then music for the stage, I met people I never would have talked to, and I now have more friends than I ever would have imagined. I understand now why so many people say that being in choir and theater is like being in a family. Thank you, Mr. Bond, for all you did for me. I will often tell this story every few years to my choirs, not because it's a sad story that has a happy ending, but because we never know what somebody's going through. And we never know if simply asking somebody to smile or showing interest in someone might change their entire outlook. After these experiences, I put away the idea that my groups would always be the best performing groups. Now, I'm a super competitive person, and I always want my groups to be the best they can possibly be. But I'm more concerned about the relationships I build. 
And I'm more concerned that students have a safe place. This school year has been very odd. I didn't know how to do any sort of online teaching for choir. But at the end of this school year, I've had numerous students email me or send me videos telling me what Freddie said, that choir was a safe place. They felt it was like a family. The thing they missed most during all of this quarantine time was being around their friends and choir and having fun and singing and making music. Now, we all can't find a Freddie in a back hallway and talk to them and get them to smile or join a class, but what we all can do is be kind and nice and try to have empathy for people because we have no idea what they're dealing with at home or what their life is like. Unexpected kindness is the most powerful, least costly, and most underrated agent of human change. This has been Stories from Nowhere. I'm your host, Randall Vaughn. Thanks for joining us today. Today's podcast is brought to you by the number seven, the letter R, and the Kansas Public Education System. What do you call an enormous pile of kittens? A meowton. <laughs>